Well, hello and welcome to the Book of Sports. I'm your host, Tim Schooler. My co-host, as always, Nathan Dogger, Brewer. Good to have you with us, Nathan. <laughs> Thank you. Good to be here. Always happy to chat sports. So, yeah, bring it on. Now, this is episode one, and we are tracking through the seasons of AFL and NRL, the football codes in uh, in 2021. Unless, of course, you follow the A-League, which I do, but the A-League season doesn't really follow um, normal things. So... Uh, we'll leave that to one side. We might discuss it at, at some point. But it's a, it's a show for sport lovers, thinking about it from a Christian point of view. Dogger, we're going to kick off straight off the bat with what tugged at your heart this week. Uh, what was it that really got you going? Yep, so my summer sport, I mean, along with your classic Aussie ones, cricket and, and, and the others is uh, basketball, the NBA in America. And uh, there's a young man, talented, good player. His name is Karis Levert, sort of a borderline all-star level player. He got traded for James Harden, very big, uh, well-documented trade, big debacle. And he was super bummed to be leaving Brooklyn, bummed to be going to Indiana from New York to Indiana. So he was, he was bummed about that. Uh, and I wouldn't want to have to move from New York to Indiana, so I understand that. Yes, so he was he was pretty bummed, but he learned a, he learned as he was doing his medical uh, for his new team that he actually had uh, cancer uh, on his kidneys. What? Yeah, cancerous lump on his kidney, and so he's come out later and said that trade, which I hated, uh, probably saved my life. And so he wow. recently he had a couple of months off. He's had four games back. He's he's settling back into his his new team. But yeah, a good sort of tug at the heart story of a disappointing trade that saved a bloke's life. So he's like cancer free now. I mean, that's always a, a difficult sort of uh, prognosis to make for anyone who's dealt with cancer. You know, you're, you're sort of never really free of it. But is, is he essentially like is he past that? You know, the treatment phase. Yeah, I think his, his is an interesting one. And other things like there were cancerous masses on top of his kidneys. And so I think it was as simple as go having a surgery, having them cut out, and then he's good wow. to go. I mean, I'm sure he'll have to be monitored as cancer can always reappear often when you least suspect it. But yeah, it's, I think he's, he's good to go and he's playing. I mean, he's playing professional sport. So his recovery has obviously been pretty good. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. Praise God for his goodness. Mm. Um, we... Uh, in terms of my tugged at, tugged at the heart this weekend, it was the start of the AFL season, and uh, I play for the Pennant Hills Demons mm. uh, when it comes to AFL, and I follow the Sydney Swans. And there was a, a bit of a, a lot of excitement around the club this week because uh, one of the three debutants for the Sydney Swans for the round one of the twenty twenty one season was Braden Campbell, who was a Westbrook junior and then played for the Pennant Hills Demons as well. Was playing there last year. And uh, so last year I was watching Beach, um, you know, from the sideline as he sort of bipped and bopped around players and showed all his skills. And then on Saturday he was up there at the Gabba, uh, part of a very comprehensive victory over Brisbane. And just fantastic seeing a young guy whose career you've tracked and you've known and you've trained with him and you've seen that and being able to um, show all those exploits on the on the big stage was uh was just great, and I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of pride around the club, um, seeing one of our own uh, make it at that level. So it was it was a special moment. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And did he get much run on on Saturday, or was he sort of just a bit player that played a few minutes here and there? No, he did had a real strong game. Um, so yeah, there were three debutants, uh, Beige and Errol Goulden, who were both part of the Swans Academy and had 
come through the academy since they were 10. Uh, both, yeah, really impacted the game. Um, on the AFL field, you, it's it's rare in, a, in an AFL game for someone to have uh, not much time. Everyone sort of gets – they use your interchanges really sort of significantly so that everyone gets um, as much rest as they possibly can. Uh, and Beige was yeah, in around the action. He had um, – I don't know how many touches he had, but he got a fair bit of the footy and, and used it pretty well. So he, he certainly started his career uh, – with a very impressive show. That's good. Now, do you have any stories like, you know, you outdid him and outplayed him in, in training so you can sort of have a little of a hum, bit of a humble brag, the more success he has, or, or you can't, you don't have any claims to fame like that? I've really got nothing when it comes to Beach, sadly. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I might have had a few training sessions with him, but he would, would have been way too quick for me. Uh, one of, I mean, one of my claims to fame when it comes to the Swans is that I did coach Callum Mills for a week uh, in a rep carnival. And um, so I like to think that I taught him everything he knows. Um, but, uh, yeah, not much of an impact on Veg, unfortunately. Yeah, I've got I've played Nick Kyrgios in tennis, but I lost to him. So it's not a claim to fame. But there's another guy called Jordan Thompson who I used to beat, and he's on the professional tour, so I need him to go big. Um, and then I've got a big claim <laughs> to fame. But um... Then you've got an identity that you can live with. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's how, else, yeah. that's how it works in Sportland, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, my dad, my dad still talks about a time where my dad played sort of competitive squash um, through his 20s and 30s and he talks about the time, I can't even remember the guy's name, but he went on to be like a world number one and dad talks about the time where he used to beat this guy at squash, yeah. but he keeps out of the story the fact that the guy was 12 at the time. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, 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 that's true. I was two years older than Jordan Thompson, which doesn't sound like much, but when you're 10 playing an eight-year-old, it does help. We <laughs> try and leave uh, it out. So, yeah, it's fair enough. you gotta, you got you to gotta take it where you can get it. It wasn't Jeff Hunt, the, the squash player, was it? I think he's a pretty famous. Could have been. I don't know. This is, this is from an era where there are a fair few successful um, yeah. Australian squash players, I think. But Yeah, um, yeah. Dad, dads are going to have yes. those claim to fame. So you got, that's, just, that's right. That's just part of the nature of it. And that's, that's right. And that's the Christian way to play sport, right? Beat up on people younger than you so you can look <laughs> impressive. Uh, from that, let's move on. Dogger, you, uh, you're going to introduce, uh, we'll start us off with our uh, one of our segments, My Irrational Love for dot, 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 where one of us picks a sports team or an identity that we follow and tells the story of how and why. And you are going to bring us into the world of Expert 11. Now, that will mean very little to the vast majority of people listening to this. It's two uh, words. Uh, what is Expert 11? Bring us into the story. How long have we been playing this for? Uh, what is it and how how does the whole thing work? Mm, yes, so you actually recruited me to the Expert 11 world. Uh, I did. I've, I've been playing, I think, since August of 2014. So I'm into my seventh year of my career. Uh, it's in the league that we started all those years ago is still going. into. I think we just finished season 28, uh, which I... yeah came disappointingly second and blew a few shots of the title, but we can get into that later. Um, and it's a game, I don't, I mean, I've tried to recruit my friends and they ask me and it's a hard question to answer. It's, it's a, so hard to describe exactly yeah, what it is. It's a little bit like fantasy soccer, but with fictional players. But 
it's so much more and, and so much better than that because you train the players. You don't train Messi when he's in your fantasy team. You don't train yep. you know, a Premier League player when you're in your fantasy team. You And, and you don't tell Messi how to play exactly. when he's in your fantasy <laughs> Premier League team or whatever it is. Yes. So you, you get these players, uh, you train them, you develop them by putting them in form training, by putting them in matches to get their match experience. And you go into a league and you play generally two games a week and you set tactics and you try and have your team in the best form and you try and outmaneuver other managers. And it's a, it's a game. It's a simple game. It's, it's catchphrase is perfect. Easy to play, hard to master. The basics of Expert 11, training, setting tactics, collecting money, whatever. So easy, so simple, but being really, really good at it is really hard. There's nuance. You've got to make good transfer decisions. You have to target specific players. There's a lot of nuance. It takes a lot of explaining and you need a mentor really when you first join. But You do. It's yeah. a hard game to get to get into initially. Yeah. But I certainly find that uh, I, I'm, I think I've been playing for like nine years or something <laughs> and I feel like I know less about the game now than I did after one year because I, I'm just, I, I thought I knew it all and I was very arrogant when we started playing together, <laughs> exceedingly arrogant. And after 28 seasons, I have won zero titles in this league. Yeah. I just can't crack it. Um, and yeah, so talk us, tell us about your, your irrational love for it. I mean, we can all sort of understand, uh, you know, there's a game that we like and it, you know, it's something that we enjoy playing. How much of a hold does Expert Eleven have over your life when it's like a critical time? Mm, yeah, it's yeah because really it more than it should because you could do Expert Eleven by logging in three times a week for five minutes and you could do everything you need to do. But yeah, the amount of times, particularly in crunch time at the end of the season or in transfer season, where you just you want to buy someone or you're anxious for to sell one of your players, you're, you're logging in multiple times a day before work on your lunch break after work just before bed just to keep checking in and you really don't need to and when you have you know so it's taking up time there it's at the end of season when you draw or lose a game you shouldn't and that text from your mate comes in mocking you and it's you know you're on a walk with someone and you're meant to be chatting with them but you're really just pondering how on earth uh, the game, the, the generator of the game, cost you uh, cost you a title, and it's just well, that's one of the things, isn't it? It's always the game engine which is victimizing you, and some <laughs> for some reason it has conspired everything to ensure yeah. that you are the one who has suffered unjustly at the hands of Expert Eleven. Yes. Uh, Zama Geddon uh, is one of the concepts that gets thrown around, um, and. Yeah, different managers have different theories on why things go different ways and it just adds to the wonderful mystery of the world that is Expert 11. Yeah, I mean, the fact is it's just it's just a random generator. That means sometimes you have the better team and the better tactics and you get dudded. But yes, coin, coining a term, Zama, Expert 11, Karma. Yeah. Is that really the fact? <laughs> you know, surely there is a, yeah. a secret society out there that's targeting us. Uh, and, uh, it's crazy, yeah. I had a draw at the end of the season and I think it was the difference between winning the, and losing the title. And my squad strength was much higher than the opponents, and my tactics were better. And you put win bonuses on each game, and I'd done the maximum win bonus, so he couldn't have he couldn't have outbid me. And I was at home, and it made no sense. And yep, call it Zama, call it unlucky. Just 
that's just the way the game goes and that, that it hurts, but it makes that next title even sweeter when you finally get it. So the next title, I'm still waiting for my first. <laughs> <laughs> and something tells me I might be waiting a long time. I'm in the middle of a rebuilding phase yes. uh, of expert and I've, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not straightforward to know how I'm going to, um, challenge the likes of you and yeah. and others in the league so yeah and I, I mean it's funny like i've for so long thought i had the best strategy but now i'm in a bit of a pickle had some unfortunate retirements with some key players and i'm looking around the league going i think i think i need to rethink how i play this game and that's 28 seasons in that's i've got some titles under my belt but i just the league the league is changing and evolving and I, I think I might be stuck in my old ways and might need to get a little bit more uh, flexible and a little bit more loose selling selling players that I love. I get a little bit sentimental and hold on to players where I could have cashed them in and got some good money. But yeah, the game yeah. is always changing. If you don't if you don't go with it, you get left behind and your first and second place become fourth and fifth place finishes and you're constantly scratching your head and, and blaming blaming the game when yeah, perhaps you're just not keeping up. That's right. And in some sports, there's a little bit of glory with making the finals. You know, you've made the top eight. There's a certain, you know, you can sort of pat yourselves on the back for that. For expert, it's all or nothing. If you're second, it's the same as coming 12th. I mean, it's just, I, I've, I've had like seven seasons of absolute misery when it comes, seven years, sorry, 28 seasons of absolute misery when it comes to, to this league. And yet I keep uh, inflicting the pain on myself. So it is definitely an irrational love that I have for something that gives me back nothing in return. <laughs> yes, you had a tragic, you had a tragic, I think three season stretch where you put the strongest team on paper out three years in a row. And normally, even with all the randomness of Expert 11, you, you trot three quality teams like that out, you're going to win, you know, one out of three and probably two out of three. But just again, strange, bizarre results, drawing with inactive managers. And, Oh, and uh, yeah, some some painful nightmare. some painful titles lost for you, and and now that and then once you've had that run at the top, you can't really it's not really sustainable in a league as strong as ours. So you've had to drop back down and and be patient. So yeah, it's definitely been a uh, a long journey for you. So I'm very sympathetic there, and I've sort of just had a similar thing happen to me where I had a title I probably should have won and left it left it out, left it on the table, and and now uh, I've had three of my key players announce their retirements and all of a sudden my window for success has become a lot shorter than perhaps I was expecting. Yeah, but that's the way that you chat, Nathan, and then all of a sudden you'll end up winning this league. So uh, time will tell. Uh, you also have an irrational love for Liverpool. You'll have mm. to tell us why Liverpool Football Club is a team that you have an irrational love for at a later date. But this leads us on to our obscure stat of the week and mm. so you are going to bring us uh, an obscure stat of the week for those uh everyone's a new listener to the pod because it's our first episode but nathan has a particular uh love for and brain that is suited for stats mm. uh recollection powers that are uh beyond your wildest imagination <laughs> and uh loves loves a mathematical analysis of any sporting contest mm. and you've got an obscure stat for us nathan uh, Related to your beloved Liverpool FC. Yep. Yep. Speaking of irrational loves, I go for Liverpool because my sister's ex boyfriend told me to. So I'm almost like betraying <laughs> my family. Naturally. <laughs> In order to cheer for a team that I have no logical connection to. So the only other logical connection was Harry Kuehl was there. So they had one Aussie, but really it was my sister's ex boyfriend saying, Yeah, just go for this team. And I just picked them up and went with them. Um, Love it. Yep. Liverpool. 
lovely, very lovely team, fun to follow in some ways, but incredibly frustrating, uh, super frustrating team to follow for so long. We obviously famously had a 30-year drought, uh, which we broke uh, last year uh, because of a pretty amazing home streak. Uh, Anfield, our fortress, 68 games unbeaten, spanning across years. It was amazing. You didn't win at Liverpool. It just um, impossible. Jurgen Klopp had produced this machine, this monster. You come against a hostile fan base. You came, you came to Anfield and you were happy. If you got one point from Anfield, you left celebrating. And that was even for the even for the top teams. Even if if you're Man City, who I follow, or even if it was uh, you know a Man United or a Spurs mm-hmm. or someone who was right at the top of their game, if you got a draw at Anfield, you've done really well because you've prevented Liverpool from getting those extra two points. Yeah, exactly. And so that's been you know the bedrock of our of our title chase is the one where we got so close and came second to Man City, even though he's got 97 points and then the one where we almost cracked 100 points and won you know it's just if you're getting three points pretty much every time at Anfield it helps and then this season you know whether you blame COVID whether you blame uh, the lack of fans or you blame injuries Liverpool's 68 game streak unbeaten streak was snapped uh, very disappointingly uh, and What's followed is a right, and that 68 win, uh, unbeaten streak was the second best uh, home streak of all time behind Chelsea's 74. So, really amazing streak. And we followed that up streak with a record worst streak. We've lost six games at home in a row, um, which is terrible. Six in a row. Six in a row. And I think, and it's lost. It's not haven't won, it's lost. Well, that's right. That's deplorable, right? Because in a, it was 68 unbeaten, mm. undefeated. Yeah. So that, that's draws and wins, yeah. right? Which is, and that's, you know, almost. Yeah almost 70, right? Yeah. Second of all time, as you say, incredible stat. But six, to lose six in a row at home, that's almost Central Coast Mariners territory. <laughs> and yeah, and not, I mean, we lost to one or two good teams, but a lot of the teams have not been good. And uh, we are, our record stat is that we are the first defending premiers to lose five in a row at home. And so that's wow. our... That's our record-breaking feat for the season. You know, we almost broke the record by get, almost getting 100 points uh, last season, and now we have actually claimed a record by sort of doing, like, the worst title defence <laughs> at home of any uh, of any English Premier League premiers. So it's been a very frustrating... A bit like Expert 11. I don't really know how to explain it. Like, there's been some injuries, but it's a disproportionately poor performance, even relative to our squad strength. So... I don't know. No one saw it coming. Yeah, I don't know if there's a real life equivalent of Zama, but um, maybe that's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe it's just called Karma. I don't know. Um, but uh, it's haunting Liverpool this season, and they have just fallen off a cliff, and to the point where Jurgen Klopp, who brought us our first champion Champions League in about fifteen years, brought us our first Premier League in thirty years, people are questioning whether whether he needs to go. Um, I don't think they'll get rid of him, but. Yeah, no one would have been asking that question even just two months ago. No one would have thought it was possible to be asking that question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Klopp is the one of the 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 most well liked managers mm. in the league. Like I, I even like Klopp, and I, <laughs> I can't stand Liverpool, you know. But I, I can't help but have a smile on my face when I see him. But um, yeah, amazing to see that turn around and. Funny how the world of sport can turn on you very quickly. Mm, yeah, and just one. 
one injury to Virgil van Dijk, it seems like, and that completely derailed us. So whether we're a one-man team and he's infinitely better than we thought or I don't know what it is, fatigue or Klopp's system, but we've just fallen on our sword this year. But, um, yeah, it's all that satisfaction from the last two years with the Champions League and the Premier League and it's just gone. You know, you don't think about Liverpool and think positively anymore. You're, you're thinking about the streak. You're thinking about how on earth are we going to get into the Champions League when we're, we're a long way behind. Well, you're no chance. Yeah. I, I'm calling it now. No, yeah. You're out. Yeah. There's no Champions League football for Liverpool. Yeah. we got one hope and it's we've done it before and that's to not make the top four in the Premier League but win the Champions League. We did that to Everton once. The poor things came forth <laughs> and we took their spot because we won the Champions League the year before. So, yeah. we, yeah, well, we good, yeah. good luck. Good luck. That's all I can say. We will need it. <laughs> we <It's>... will need it. <laughs> Um, it leads us to thinking about sort of the world of sport and how it turns on you so quickly. It leads us to our final segment of the pod, the dressing room mirror, where we reflect on how sport reveals to us the weightier matters of life. And uh, I want us to think about this because this is off the back of uh, we're, we're at the beginning of a new football season. Mm. Now, Liverpool are towards the end where there's three quarters of the way through their season and it's gone very poorly for them. But when it comes to AFL fans and NRL fans, uh, it's the beginning of the season. And I want to talk about the hope that comes mm-hmm. for supporters and fans at the beginning of a new season. Because as a Sydney Swans fan, we are at the beginning of hopefully a premiership window. We were talking for Expert 11 about, you know, you've got to rebuild and then your, your premiership window uh, opens up again. Well, the Swans have been sort of stockpiling talent for the last couple of seasons, my beloved Sydney Swans. And on Saturday night, it was like the final installment of that uh, process. So we had three debutants. We had a bunch of guys. Uh, Chad Warner was playing his third game of AFL football. And uh, all those young guys played really, really well against Brisbane, who were top four last year and uh, who are expected to be you know, a, a very strong performer this year. And going into the game, I didn't have huge expectations. Going into the game, I thought, well, you know, we, we might perform pretty well. We've got a decent, you know, there's a lot of talent on our list, but you know, we, need, we need to blood the, the young guys and whatnot. But all of a sudden, at like three-quarter time, when we're 20 points up or four, with 40 points up or something at three-quarter time, and I just thought, I've got hope now. Mm. You know, there's, there's, there's positivity about what this season could achieve. And, and I felt that all the way through my body, there's now optimism where there was sort of me being realistic an hour before and there was hope and this sense that actually maybe the lean years are behind us and we've got success coming our way. And here's the thing. In football world and in sporting world, hope lives and dies on your youth. Mm. And there is this constant need to get rid of the old guys and bring in the young guys. And uh, that we're constantly looking to the youth for our hope because we know that if the youth is gone, and this is particularly true in a sport like, like AFL, um, we know that if, if the youth isn't there, then the future is bleak and we don't have hope. Uh, but where the youth is there, then there is this real optimism, there's this real hope where there's, there's young talent. And, uh, and I found myself meditating on how, how cheap 
that hope is and how uh, how quickly it comes, but how quickly it goes and it can sort of just slip through your fingers. Um, and this is the emotional roller coaster that you you ride as a sports fan, right? I mean, this is this is your story with Liverpool, is that you've had yeah. uh, this great season beyond your wildest dreams, but you sort of knew it was coming and then this year just sort of hit you like a freight train. And, <laughs> you've got, and if you've got nothing else in your life other than Liverpool, then you're really depressed at this moment. Um, and I've, you know, I've following on social media, friends who um, they ride their sports teams with everything and I love my sport, you know, but if, if that's all you've got, then when you have a season like Liverpool, then you're in the absolute dumps. And when you have, you know, the start to a season like the Swans have had, then you're just absolutely, uh, you know, you're flying high. Um, and, and I was thinking about this because it, it comes and it goes and you can't pick it. And, uh, as good as the highs are, it can lead you into some really bad places as well. And it just reminded me of how constant the hope of Jesus is. Mm. And that as a Christian, as a Christian who loves sport, there are the ups and downs of sport, but there's a constancy of an actual hope and an actual uh, certainty about the future. That means no matter what happens, even if every single one of my teams is uh, going poorly, which is probably impossible because I support enough teams that are always <laughs> winning on any given week. But even if every team goes poorly, that actually doesn't destroy me because, in fact, it's probably a healthy thing for me because it reminds me of what's actually important in life and uh, it reminds me of the certainty that I have uh, have in Jesus. Mm. Yeah. And I think with sport, I mean, I, I've had a similar experience with my uh, another beloved team, the Canberra Raiders, is that you're also looking, you're not just looking for the hope of your team, you're also looking for individual saviors that are going to come in yes. and, and they're going to fix everything. And so, you know, for my beloved Raiders, you know, all those years ago, it was Todd Carney. He was he was the next Andrew Johns. He was the saviour that was going to bring Canberra back and bring us all hope. And it turns out that, you know, he had a drinking problem and got caught urinating into his own mouth and all sorts of different strange things. He wasn't quite the saviour we needed. And then it was Josh Dugan and then he started skipping training and drinking beers on rooftops and, you know, filming it when he's supposed to be at training. We look for saviours, we look for hope and they, particularly as a Canberra fan, they leave uh, to go to greener pastures, go to Bondi or Sydney Roosters is a bit of a sore point. But um yeah, we look. For oh, it's a great picture, I think. Yeah. It's a great picture, I think, of how desperate we get for that saviour yeah. uh, yeah. to to bring back that hope yeah. because we're happy to go to anyone, you know. We're happy to – there's clubs that have the, uh, you know, um, quote, no dickhead policy, but then when <laughs> things go bad uh, and when, when they get really desperate, all of a sudden anyone will do, you know. If, they, if this can be the guy yeah. uh, or women's sport, this can be the woman who gets us out of trouble and gets us on the path towards glory, then character doesn't matter, behaviour doesn't matter, the kind of role model they are to the younger guys doesn't matter because they can actually perform something on the field and that's all that matters. Uh, and yeah. it just shows our desperation for, for yeah. the saviour figure because we're just desperate for mm. that hope. Yeah. Yeah. And we just, yeah, and we look for it in, uh, and we, and we turn on them now really viciously in our culture because we look for them and we almost rely on them and lean on them. So when they actually let us down and they're human and they do stupid stuff, we, you know, now in our culture, we really respond 
viciously and, and want to cancel them or, or and yeah we we look for heroes and so it actually makes the hurt even worse when they when they let us down and yeah there are some guys who are right. so good that you know so good at what they do that it doesn't really matter what they do off the field they'll they'll come back but yeah there are others who um we look to them as heroes and um yeah once they fail once uh we're ready to to get rid of them because we've looked to them for so much more than they can actually give us and yeah it's it's that's right it's really interesting yeah yeah i think definitely we are, we're asking people to to be someone who we're not you know because we have all these imperfections and which is not to say that we shouldn't hope and uh want our sports stars to be positive role models but um you know, they're not Jesus. <laughs> they they have imperfections just like we do and their imperfections are far more public than ours are. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing the kind of expectations that we can put on others that we uh, we don't necessarily put on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. We, we stumble into all the same things that, um, that those guys stumble into, uh, except that they can do it on a slightly bigger scale and a more public scale than we do. Um, and yeah, it kills us. We long for that person who can do everything that we should without failure. And he's already come. He's already lived. And so, yeah, he's the one that we, it's Jesus. And he's the one that we need to be looking to, not to our beloved sports stars that can give us temporary hope on a, you know, between Friday and Monday on the sporting grounds. Um, but yeah, that's right. Can give us hope through the, the best and worst seasons of life. That's right. Thanks, Brewer. Great to be with you, mate. Thoroughly yep. enjoyed our first episode of the Book of Sports and looking forward to tracking through the rest of the 2021 season. We'll see how the Swans go. We'll see how the Raiders go. We'll mm. see how Liverpool finish up. We'll see if the Central Coast Mariners can continue their charge. They're top of the table. They're defying all expectations. There's an irrational <laughs> love story there that we'll get to in a future episode. But for now, thanks, Nath. Good to be with you and see you next time.